0: Welcome, everyone, to the fifth episode of The Right Side of Maybe, the podcast at Global Guessing where we talk to elite forecasters to learn from them and to dive deep into a, per- into a particular forecast where they got to the right side of maybe before the rest of the community. In this week's episode, we are thrilled to be joined by one of the best forecasters out there, Dat Silly. For background, Dat Silly is the number one forecaster on Metaculus.com. Uh, beating out the second-place forecaster by more than 30% in terms of overall points. Uh, Dat Silly also placed second in IARPA's recent uh, geopolitical forecasting competition, too, in which he won nearly $50,000 forecasting geopolitical questions on the future. It is an absolute pleasure to have him on the show today, and I'm sure we will learn a lot of amazing things. So, Dat Silly, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, um, hi, Clay. Uh, thank you for having me
0: on. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's great. It's great to have you. So let's sort of start at the beginning. Like what sort of how and when were you first introduced to this concept of quantified forecasting? And when did you sort of start diving into this and really working at Im- in improving your skills?
1: Um, so um, I learned about uh like quantified forecasting from the rationalist community. Um, so uh, there's a time when I was reading uh, Less Wrong, like the old, the old uh, Less Wrong website, and then later on uh, Slate Star Codex. And in the sidebar of Slate Star Codex, there's yeah, there was an ad for Metaculus, and so I clicked on it and. For some reason I must have registered, but I didn't do anything sometime um in the summer of that year. So that was like 2017, I guess. Um or 2018.
0: Um and then and then sort of like, yeah, like what if you, you sort of got introduced to Metaculus from Slate Star Kodak, I'm guessing you saw some of the forecasts that he has done uh on his blog and then what sort of got you into you know forecasting the actual questions on Metaculous
1: uh-huh. so, uh so um uh on Codex uh there was a blog post uh yeah it was like like September around September 2017 um advertising a cryptocurrency contest with uh yeah. So like the first place is like one ether and then, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So that got me into actually making, um, making my first forecast on Otaculus.
0: How'd you do in that first competition? Were you a natural savant from the start or was the, or was your first foray into forecasting a humbling experience?
1: Uh, yeah. So, um, in that contest, um, I thought I was doing well in the very beginning, like, yeah, maybe I was like in the top places and like one or two questions resolved, but yeah i I lost hundreds of points uh in some questions where I predicted like ninety percent of something to happen, and it didn't, so um, yeah, that was when I've like learned um the bitter and necessary lesson of overconfidence and Yeah,
0: so I didn't do well on that contest. And only so you started forecasting in September of 2017, and then about a year and a half later is when the IARPA Geopolitical Forecasting Challenge 2, not competition, sorry, um, started. And you go from never doing forecasting 18 months ago to coming in second place in a 250,000 prize pool competition. Uh, 18 months later, Uh, what did you think was sort of most critical for improving your forecasting skills um, during that period? What was sort of critical to your development? Because you went from never forecasting to then coming in second in the AIRPA competition. That's that's incredible. So was there particular things that you worked on or read that you found really sort of helped you develop those skills?
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah, like um I, I can summarize my like what was most important for my development, answering the question. But like 18 months is like um like a really long time. And yeah, like so there's uh, like from the beginning when I first seriously started making a lot of forecasts, that was like um maybe January or February 2018. So a couple of months after the cryptocurrency contest ended and yeah somehow I, I decided that I would take it seriously and um, yeah and I would just make predictions um like you know without like too serious know, without like taking it too seriously sometimes I would just um like read the question, struggle to understand it. And it feels like, oh, um, don't know. So like 50%. And yeah, the, the main struggle is getting past that point, I guess. And yeah, in the beginning, I was like really interested in forecasting. And I wanted to after um after getting feedback, like after my first questions resolved and I got an idea of like, you know, about how good I was or where I could improve. Um After that, like first couple of months, I wanted to, yeah, I thought I could get better by like teaming up with someone or meeting other forecasters. So then actually, uh, a bit less than a year after uh, I started seriously forecasting, like, on the East Coast and I like flew to San Francisco to like a in-person meetup. Oh wow it was yeah it was branded as a as a metaculus meetup but it was actually um led by people who was uh creating the ai.metacculus project they wanted us to make uh ai predictions
0: got it uh, and so you said you you first sort of just did forecasts by just sort of like looking at the question and just putting down a number. And I think that's how a lot of people forecast. And the first episode of the series, we talked with Peter Herford. Uh, and while he said there's some forecasts where he'll spend 30, 45 minutes an hour forecasting, oftentimes he'll spend five, 15 minutes. And our colleague uh, at Global Guessing, Mikhail Dobrowski, he has this concept of a minimum valuable forecast, that there's a certain amount of effort needed to be put into a forecast to make it a real learning experience for improving your forecasting. Did you find that there were certain things that you did either during the forecast or after looking at it that you felt you learned more from versus just making like a simple forecast? Uh, Would it be like if forecasting by putting in the base rate or putting in, you know, different um, factors that would cause you to sort of rethink uh, your initial and starting hypothesis? Like, were there certain aspects of the forecast, uh, of forecasting that when you did that, you felt um, improved your development of forecasting? Does that make sense?
1: Um, well, uh, I'm not sure that there was one. It's more like my response to the minimum value of forecast concept is is that, um almost any like amount of work or effort um yeah like counts like then yeah it helps you get better it's more like on a continuum of like how much practice you get
0: and you what matters say- is like whether,
1: yeah what matters is whether like you stick with it like so like like being persistent so so that um, when you do get feedback like months later from when you make the forecast you uh, you know, like you go over it you remember it you and then yeah and then you try to learn it.
0: interesting um how much time do you spend forecasting every week like on average obviously it'll change week to week and like how do you spend that time in as you're forecasting how much is spent looking for questions, looking for information, looking for data, like, yeah, what is your forecasting schedule, like, say?
1: Um, so, uh, when I was asked this before, I said, oh, about an hour a day. but um, guess maybe sometimes it can be like two hours a day. So like 14 hours a week, um, but somewhere around there and, um, I guess it depends on how how motivated I, I am and how enthusiastic I am about, about forecasting. So I was really enthusiastic for like like yeah multiple years like the first year for when I did IOPA and for when COVID happened and um, you know it was only like last year in the fall that. Um, I finally like, yeah, I reached first place on the leaderboard. And I guess that just kills the motivation a bit. So I just, I just tried to um, um, put in a medium amount of effort that I know uh, it's hard for people to catch up. Um, Right. And, uh, oh yeah, so, um, hmm what was the thread of this question
0: like yeah just like spent like also so you spend 14 hours you know on average forecasting oh yeah. less so now how how do you spend that 14 hours like with the forecasting? like how how do you sort of tackle you know a forecasting problem and then like how many questions do you think you'll forecast uh in those 14 hours um both like new forecasts as well as sort of going back and updating current forecasts that you might have going on.
1: Um, So I guess I can keep up with Metaculous, Um, like for the questions of Metaculus weekly, maybe not predict on all of them. Like I, uh, I might not predict on questions that are resolving, uh, that are closing a year in the future. I might leave that for later, but on all the other questions I predict on them, or like for some range questions where um, the probability is like super spread out and basically there's no point value in them, then I would like delay, yeah, like defer predicting on. But basically, I look at, at like every single question. And yeah, so in order to keep up with all the questions on the tackle list, maybe. There's like 10 to 20 questions a week, probably less than 20. And so, new questions, yeah, I, um, I just go through them. And by now, I already um, have a lot of like uh, background on most questions. Like, um, I already set up, I already have a practice intuition. So, uh, I can usually quickly make an initial forecast on for most questions. And only sometimes I'll do research that's beyond like the data source that's linked in the question. But in the past, when I was newer, um, yeah, I tended to do more research. I tended to like sometimes a question would be completely new to me, and I, I would be learning about a lot of new topics from attack list questions and that, that was that's one of the appeals of forecasting on attacklist too
0: like. Yeah a very Try wide range ground. of subjects. Yeah, you definitely learn about a lot of different areas. That's I think we were talking about that in our episode, in our Global Guessing Weekly podcast with Philip Orchard, just that this act of forecasting, you're just being exposed to so many new subjects and learning a, a lot of different things and it's that's one of the exciting things about forecasting. It's not only, you know, testing your beliefs, but also just learning about a lot of interesting things that I think otherwise we probably wouldn't have the same level of understanding about
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and it's also um i also say uh, it's like a news source for me and yeah i i don't um i don't read the news so so this is yeah and i don't have like like geopolitics knowledge or like background knowledge that maybe other forecasters would have so yeah like yeah so my news is like i attackless, and sometimes, uh, yeah, like breaking news will come in in comments, like like from something. So like,
0: yep, yep, definitely from JGalt. If if there's gonna be breaking news on attackless, that's where it's coming from. Um, so now I kind of want to shift and talk about sort of some specific forecasts. Before getting into um, one forecast, I want to talk about this IARPA geopolitical forecasting challenge two that you were a part of and that you placed uh, second place in um, and won a lot of money on. So you're a top-ranked forecaster on Metaculus, You placed second in this competition. What did you sort of attribute to your success in a forecasting tournament like uh, this iARPA geopolitical forecasting challenge too there were obviously a lot of talented forecasters in there third place you said before we started recording was a super forecaster so how do you think you ended up doing well and do you find that the skills that are successful for forecasting in a competition to be different than forecasting individual questions on Metaculus? Uh, and could you also just sort of provide our listeners with sort of um, some information about like what the tournament was like, uh, in ter- as an experience and, and in terms of the questions that you were asked to forecast.
1: Uh, huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, a. Uh, yeah, that's a, uh, um,
0: big question. Yeah.
1: Se- yeah. seems like uh, a lot to go. Um, so, um, um, yeah, what do I what do I attribute my success uh, on this competition to? Well, uh, I guess I would attribute it to um, <laughs> um, getting a lot of practice on on Metaculus. Like, yeah. So, like I said, a year and a half is like a long, pretty long time, and I was really interested in forecasting the whole time. And yeah, so uh, I got a lot of practice. On the And um, yeah, and the other thing I would um, attribute my success to is um, it's kind of, uh, I guess, leaning uh, on my strengths and on my, yeah, on like my forecasting approach where um, I like cover my weaknesses. So since I don't read the news and I don't have knowledge, in politics or geopolitics or foreign countries then i have to rely on everything else like everything else that i can try to
0: yeah use could Could you talk to, about um, that a little bit about like what that process and what your strengths are
1: yeah um, so um so my forecasting approach is mainly really like to um Rely on hard data, like rely on data, and to use uh, the outside view, like to rely on the base rates, and less, uh, yeah, less weight on, like, uh, um, the the specific details specific to a question, on uh, specific judgments on how like the political actors will behave. Things like that. So, um, yeah. Here, uh, uh, right. So, uh, yeah. So, to get the data, I, I, uh, I do web search. I do research when encountering a new question, and I'm careful when making my first judgment on a question. So, I take it slow, and I don't, um, I, I don't jump to conclusions. Mm-hmm. And then only over time as I process the information that I read and also um, thinking about um, the, um, the, com- uh, the community median, so the median that we're supplied with and the, the uh, <laughs> uh, question, uh, the uh, like comments. So here, uh, here's a good time to talk about the structure of uh, the IOPA tournament. So this is the uh, IOPA Geopolitical uh, Forecasting Challenge 2 and in Challenge 1, yeah, they already had Challenge 1 and actually they're both similar in structure. Um, the, the goal of the tournament is to kind of find better machine learning algorithms for out, for aggregating predictions. So there's gonna be a bunch of predictions coming in from um, Amazon Mechanical Turk. So they just pay people on Amazon Mechanical Turk to make predictions. And actually they, they pay people like a long time to make one question like, like spend at least one hour to, to, to make one prediction.
0: And how much do they pay the turkers for that? Do you know? Well,
1: higher than the mechanical chart average, because maybe they, yeah, they, they go for like the the officially like approved turkers who have been turking for a long time or something. So like, but still not that high, like $9 an hour, 10. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember exactly. So yeah, with the, uh, with the structure of the tournament, Welcome
0: to the 14th that, that episode was their intent. Global...
1: And uh, when I read about the, the tournament in the beginning, um, yeah, um, so it was my brother who introduced me to the tournament and he's a data scientist. So he thought he would like tackle the algorithm side. But after like working through the first couple of predictions, like uh, a couple of weeks or month in. Um yeah, he, uh my brother couldn't get any headway in. And basically I've been practicing on being like a good judgmental forecaster for such a long time now. And yeah, so my approach was just to use my own judgment. And the the tournament uh, organizers, they sent on a forum that oh, they didn't think um that people would be able to, like, manually, like, use a judgment to predict on, like, three hundred, uh, yeah, like, three hundred plus questions, and still, um, you know, have good performance. But uh, apparently not, because the top three places in, in this uh, tournament were judgmental forecasters, just, you know like, super forecasters, while the fourth and fifth place were like, they're like people who use algorithms. Mm. And they, uh, they were probably like, yeah, they were, they probably predicted. Uh, I mean, uh, participated in the first competition as well, where like I guess those people use algorithms. Uh,
0: so you really yeah. sort of like this sort of like fluid intelligence that you you were able to have is what made you do really well versus algorithms which are much more static. That's something that balkan uh no not balkan devlin sorry uh pavel atanasov and regina joseph sort of found with their human forest competition and the work that they've been doing at pitho is that you know humans are actually really good at forecasting and quite frequently beat um machine models and 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 algorithms in in large part because much fluid and much easier to sort of pick out things for in in individual cases uh you know m- machine forecasting might be great for weather where there's a lot of clear scientific laws and uh, a lot of evidence but when it comes to geopolitical forecasting and it's very much more so art than science that humans really tend to do a lot better than than machine models and it seems like that's what your experience was saying as well
1: uh yeah yeah so um what i think is that um uh, the problem with the machine uh, prediction aggregation algorithms was that um, um, yeah the uh, mechanical target predictions weren't yeah they weren't good enough as a crowd so yeah like the the quality of the predictions you know, wasn't high enough so there wasn't anything there yeah there wasn't any machine uh, yeah there's no machine learning algorithm that can like make up for that when like the signal isn't there and like strand out by the noise that yeah that's what i think and and yeah i think um uh uh regina joseph and i uh
0: probably share
1: yeah yeah and yeah and her collaborator yeah we uh we probably like yeah i uh, have similar views so uh in the um in like the, the panel uh in uh so, it, after the competition ended, there was a kind of like a, a a meetup, what do you call it? like when when they announced the results and like people get to present, yeah, so like we like we travel to Washington. Oh, D.C. wow. And yeah, and in some kind of like small, like hall like presented our things. um yeah, so so I, I met Regina just there, and also. Uh, I I also participated in Forest. So um, yeah, I can say that we probably have similar views. And yeah, um, she was like a consultant to one of the mm, university teams in in a related but not the same IOPA competition.
0: For USC, I think?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was a, uh, 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 yeah, she consulted for USC so um yeah so her, her approach uh was to basically to train the uh the uh the, the forecasters to train the uh, mechanical targets in in base rates just to like present them with the base rate to tell them what you know um how to yeah what like how to use historical data and um yeah like to train them in like. The type of uh uh yeah.
0: Like the best practice, yeah, like,
1: yeah, like updating your beliefs in small
0: steps. We, and... we we learned from like um
1: um the early I have uh, like Ted Lock kind of learnings early on. Yeah. So
0: GFCY,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I really learned about all that stuff before I did Metaculus. And yeah, so so one thing is that um I tend to read about a lot of things on the internet early on, but I didn't have any like opinion on how effective forecasting was or uh, yeah, how effective quantified forecasting was. When I first read about it and then only later when I actually did it, then, then I used that knowledge. But yeah, so so I, I, I had a background like that.
0: One Just one question on the IARPA forecasting competition before we focus on a more talk a little bit about a specific forecast was, you said you referred the community median from IARPA. Were you also like looking up to see if there were similar questions on Metaculus or Good Judgment Open using something like MetaForecast or just your own research to sort of use that information to make your forecasting decisions or?
1: Uh, yes. So I definitely tried to do that one. When... When available so there are only a couple of questions that were uh that had like clones or similar questions on good judgment and on Metaculus um for gfc1 um the Metaculus team actually cloned some questions over from the gfc1 which the do you know GFC1 if you did better audience, on those
0: sorry do you know if you did better on the questions that had clones on Metaculus or good judgment
1: uh, yeah, I think Metaculus did a bit better because they were more similar to.
0: I meant like your forecasts, like like um, like when you were forecasting a question that you could then also look up on Metaculus and see what people were saying there. Did you do better on those questions versus the questions that didn't have a Metaculus pairing? Like you heard, um, like in terms of like your briar score, you know. Um.
1: Like comparing me to maybe it's
0: like um, your question on question, a, that had a question on Metaculus versus question B that didn't have one. Did you do better on question A's generally over question B's? Like if you had the Metaculus question to reference oh, you did you oh, better, just yeah, just yeah. like
1: whether it helped at mm-hmm. all. Yeah, I, I do think it helped a bit specifically because on GFC2, there wasn't going to be any, uh, cloned questions in Metaculus but I manually posted over some, and that was going to be my strategy in the beginning. So there's multiple reasons why I didn't like clone by like a whole bunch of questions. I only cloned like too long. like 13. Um, um, yeah, like the two reasons were um, um, the GFC2 team didn't like it, they didn't want um, me to, to like mass share the, questions mm-hmm. and the other reason was it didn't help as much as yeah it, it wasn't necessary to, as as part of my core strategy later on i already knew that i could do pretty well and not break the rules and it only helped a bit so mainly i focus on posting over the questions where i was least certain about like the most difficult questions so yeah so in that way it helped um But it also didn't help because um, for the majority of questions, me and Metaclis basically agreed Mm
0: -hmm.
1: on what the prediction should be. And
0: yeah. That makes sense. All right. So now let's sort of focus on one sort of specific forecast. I just want to get some of your feedback. So I think there's some interesting things we can learn both about you, but also about how other forecasters work and what they, they miss by turning our attention to a forecast that you got to the right side of, maybe on much faster than the community during the GFC2 competition, which was asking whether an Ebola health worker would be injured or killed within, a I believe, a six-month period in the Central African Republic, South Sudan, Uganda, Rwanda, uh, Burundi, or and Tanzania. The question was asked in the context of violence that occurred in the Democratic Republic of Congo. So if you guys are watching the video, you guys will see that from the beginning, the community median for this question started off at about 50%, whereas Datsili started off at about 33 And then over time, Datsili um, updated his forecast, trending downwards, um, reaching about a low of a 10% likelihood. Meanwhile, for about four months, the entire community was more or less set around the 50 to 60% forecasting range and only updated much later on to match up where you were and ultimately the question resolved negatively hence why you were on the right side of maybe could you discuss what your general approach to your initial forecast on this question um how did you sort of arrive to it and why do you think you started off on a much lower number than the rest of the meticulous community uh
1: yes so um yeah, so, so this question, like reading this question, the, the question title is, it's like a mouthful. So yeah, basically what this question is asking is, in all the other countries, like surrounding the uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo. Yeah, DRC, all other countries surrounding the Congo. So in the, in the Congo, that was where the Ebola outbreak was happening, where all the cases was happening. Um, in the other countries surrounding it, would uh, when Ebola health worker be uh, injured or killed um, while working in those countries outside there? Yeah, which is asking roughly asking whether the disease will spread there and whether um, the attacks that have happened in the Congo will also happen in those other countries and. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so my, uh, approach was to look at the data. I, I looked at the, uh, um, the Ebola cases over time. Um, yeah. And I also tried to look at past Ebola outbreaks that was less helpful. So, um,
0: yeah. And that indicated so, to you about like a one third likelihood just based on that data?
1: yeah so actually um I broke down the question uh into like a kind of conjunction like will the uh will ebola ebola spread from the Aussie, um, to a neighboring country and then if so, will uh an ebola health worker be killed or injured in a health facility um yeah so both of those things had to happen. And uh, yeah, after like doing my research, I came to like a first judgment of like, what roughly like I didn't know, like, I wasn't sure, but like roughly 50% of, of both outcomes happening. Mm-hmm. So, so first, that was going to be 20%. But then Due to the median of um, mechanical truckers, which was way up at like ninety percent, I I didn't want to uh, get the question really wrong and lose a lot of points, so I started at fifty percent for the um, for the uh, geopolitical uh, contest. For that, I just guess fifty percent while they were at ninety percent for like from. I guess, like, for the first month. Um, yeah, so for my initial prediction, it was 50%. And then later on, I cloned the question to Metaculus, like a month, yeah, a month or two, like, after the question hadn't really existed. And yeah, and the Metaculus question was much better. It was like, they started 50, off at 50 yeah. where you were, yeah, but yeah, then like you started 55. off at
0: 33.
1: Yeah, and then by then, I already moved to 33 after, yeah, looking at the data. And-
0: Was that getting confidence that like, sure, the mechanical tur- Turkers were at 90%, but Metaculous is 50. So I feel more comfortable going further down because, you know, there's this large base of people that at least is close enough to where I want to be that I feel safe enough going down to 33. Uh, that a-
1: yes, yes, uh, definitely. So I don't remember all the details, but yeah.
0: Uh, that that would be something that I would do. Uh. Um, I, I want to get back. I I want to circle back to how you you know forecasted this and what your knowledge of Ebola was. But you know, the first thing that comes to mind to me looking at this graph is something that uh, I think Andrew and myself are guilty of at global guessing sometimes, and that we've also seen on these other platforms where kind of seems like people on Metaculus kind of forgot about this question for a while because there's a really flat bar when it comes to what the what the what the 25th percentile is what the median and what the 75th percentile of forecasts are over time the only time they sort of dip is when you make updates going down and that's affecting the 25th percentile range so you know do you think the biggest sin that forecasters made was not going back to update their forecasts you know do you think that what made you successful is that you made small frequent updates to your forecast that's what the research of Pavel atanasov and his co-authors you know found that the best forecasters one of the traits that they do is that they make small frequent updates to their forecast that keeps them on the right path to getting to the right side of maybe do you think that that's what got you going um, and kept you on the right side of maybe
1: um. Hmm. Uh. Yeah. I, I think uh, making frequent forecasts is definitely like, uh, like a simple and like yeah, there's no judgment uh, involved. Yeah, way to um, uh, make better predictions to get a better score. Um, yeah, and-, and it's definitely one of the like. Better, like yeah it's one of the top forecasting tips just um,
0: nice to update yeah and then another thing that Mikal had pointed out when he looked at this graph and did his analysis was uh, and looking at the Metaculus comment is it seemed like the biggest signal for the community to update was not actually news but the lack of news is that something that you were sort of doing with your updates when you went from 33 to 20 to 15 to 10 were those updates based on news or were you updating based on lack of news and eventually sort of the Metaculous community? I think it was Simon M, which would be quite fitting because he's one of the more active forecasters sort of pointed out, Hey, there hasn't been any news. Maybe we should all lower our forecasts." and then. Oh yeah. It was a boys. I mean, Simon M wasn't here like,
1: yeah, years ago. um, Yeah. So, um, um yeah uh do i think
0: updating like, were you updating oh, based yeah. on the lack of news
1: oh yeah uh oh yeah so updating based on that uh based on no no news is yeah like kind of yeah one of like the yeah like uh the earlier things you learn when you get into forecasting so yeah so i guess this could be addressed to um People starting out that you should uh, update frequently and also update due to no no news. Um, uh, uh, yeah, and so like, uh, but I think this is like should be a fairly basic or well known thing in the forecasting community because uh, this is one of the more common uh, common source of comments you see on Good Judgment, just like people like. <laughs> like going to 5% because time passes, like you know, just because t- um, time passes and the Ebola outbreak hasn't spread. And uh, yeah, yeah, there's two things I'll add to the um, update, updating frequently kind of um, topic of discussion. One is that you don't um, need to update like every week or even that frequently, like, like just three or four evenly spaced uh, predictions is sufficient to capture most of the, like the value of the points. So, uh, it, yeah.
0: yeah. It looks like you were updating every sort of six weeks on, on this question.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. And that's with me, like caring a lot about, yeah, about, um, uh, about like performance about doing well for a contest and, um, yeah, so that's one thing, uh, like yeah, at least you the being and 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 also try to do one uh, in the middle. So um, the, the difficulty with updating often is that there's just so many questions, and so you, know, you have to try to find like how to make valuable use of your time. Um, and the other thing with updating frequently is that. Uh, yeah. So in these uh, uh, experiments or studies, like the, the, I guess the, you know, they found like some statistical correlation between updating, updating frequently and performance or something like that. Because updating frequently is something that you measure, while like carrying a lot and like you know putting a lot of effort isn't something you can directly measure. Yeah, you can't directly measure that. So updating updating frequently is, you know, I guess it is a proxy
0: for, mm. um, you know... Effort <laughs> caring. and caring. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So then
1: if you just care, and then uh, most of the time you'll be going back to these questions.
0: What is that? that... What does it say that, like, the best way, like, the number one thing in, in a forecasting trait is just caring? Does that... Is that to you say that we are a long ways of way of, like, maximizing our forecasting potential, that there's a lot of different things down the line that we can do to improve our forecasts? If right now, like, one of the best things to do is just to really care about it. Like, for instance, if I were to say, like, what's the best way to get good at baseball? Um very rarely would the number one trait be just just caring about baseball right that is sort of one of just like the first order things but it seems like forecasting is still very early in terms of us figuring out how to get better at it do you do you think i'm off there or do you think that's something that like there's still a long way that we can go in terms of getting better at forecasting and learning new techniques
1: uh yeah the the, um the the overall uh the overall like idea that i was speaking to about that were early in forecasting yeah that i yeah i i agree with because um even when i first got into forecasting um and then i reflected on it after um getting like feedback from the first questions resolving um yeah I, i felt that forecasting was something that anyone can get into, if they were, they were motivated to. Um, It doesn't require like a lot of deep knowledge with many. uh, Yeah. it's not like math where there's a many like layers of studying or knowledge. But rather, um, yeah, you just thought basically from almost nothing. And uh, yeah, uh, you make your own judgment, and you get feedback, and you learn. And yeah, so that part I would definitely agree with. Um, though uh, it's not that like just caring is like the number one thing to do in performance in uh, a forecasting contest or a, a small number of questions where you are where you really care and. Yeah, that you really like focus your effort on. Yeah. So um it's more like caring is important for like uh yeah, updating on like like forgetting metaclist points in general or, or like climbing the leaderboard on metaclist or good judge, or good judgment and there. Um yeah just uh, being motivated and spending a lot of time in it matters because there's just like a deluge of questions. There's just so many questions. And mm-hmm. um, um, yeah, if you have other things in your life and and other things um, that, that take your attention, usually it's, it's hard to predict on all of the questions and to update on them. So um, yeah, so it's not, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I was being a little a little cheeky and, and short there. That's you're you're definitely correct there. Uh it's not just being passionate about forecasting, that's the most important thing. Um real quick though, before we get into some sort of like concluding um thoughts on forecasting and advice for new and experienced forecasters. Just I think this is probably the most interesting part about this forecast. You know, you got to the right side of maybe before the community and you stayed there you didn't you know change your beliefs we've had you know we've we've talked to forecasters who get to the right side of maybe and then they pull back and then they get back to the right side of maybe but you know they'll they'll reach their the real confidence and then dip away and you didn't do that did you have any knowledge of ebola or conflict in africa before you started forecasting this question um so
1: no i didn't really have much knowledge on ebola and I didn't know about um, yeah what was happening in the Congo, and then um, from the question yeah so from this question I, I did find that um, that there was a, an ongoing conflict in the Congo. Mm-hmm. It might have been a civil war, but yeah it's been some time now, and I'm not sure whether it's a civil war. But there's there's an ongoing conflict that. Um, made it difficult for the health workers to do their jobs. And yeah, so so that was what, I guess, maybe the people who were wrong at predicting at 90%, they were maybe overly focused on, on the geopolitical aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's when they um And yeah, and because I didn't know about this and I, yeah, I had like,
0: so then, it couldn't bias you because you just weren't aware yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, I
1: wasn't biased because I didn't. Uh, yeah, that wasn't a I signal that you were knowledge. considering.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas if you if you were uh, someone that you know studied international relations and focused on that, you have more understanding. But if you have a bias in terms of interpreting what that signal is, it could lead you to give a number like ninety percent or something. Yeah.
1: And then about Ebola, um, I guess I do have like, like some knowledge in like biology or diseases. So like, I didn't have like detail. Yeah, I didn't have I didn't study Ebola specifically. But I guess I kind of vaguely knew before. Um, yeah, because uh, it was in like the news before. And... Um, yeah. Before um, uh, predicting on this question that Ebola was like deadly it like causes people to like cough call, call, call out blood and things like that but usually it wouldn't like uh it wasn't like it's not like the most infectious virus like because because it's that like because it kills quickly and yeah so i guess i kind of had an intuition about that but um even though with that intuition i didn't like lean very hard on it mm-hmm mainly I looked at the data uh, on whether the cases were increasing and, right. So I looked at the the Ebola cases for this specific outbreak and I also tried looking at past Ebola outbreaks. Mm -hmm. And um, the past Ebola Ebola outbreaks, it didn't end up helping that much because um, what I tried to do was um, look at whether the past outbreaks Whether uh, they spread out of their starting countries, you know, whether they were confined to one country or they spread out, but that was only like a week, kind of signal. So, only the only helpful thing was the rough size of the past outbreaks compared to the size of this outbreak. Mm -hmm. And even that doesn't specifically tell me whether this outbreak will continue or whether it'll stop, but that kind of thing to look at it's kind of like, yeah, it's like background in the back of your head,
0: yeah, it, it,
1: it, uh, yeah it, uh, it, uh, it's part of the intuition when you make your final when you make your forecast, so um yeah, I look at the cases, and it was like almost linear from like June when the yeah to September, so like. So like for the first couple of months, it was like almost linear, like like a hundred cases for two weeks or something like that. And then after September, the cases actually like slowed down. So, so uh yeah. So after that, there was a yeah, there was an opportunity to like really lower your forecast. Though I was already kind of low and I, and I didn't need to um yeah, I didn't need to. Predict like like a really true shot prediction in order to do well. I just had to like kind of be safe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, after September, I'm waiting for like a couple of weeks or a month. I I think that was like already a signal there for people to really work out
0: Yeah, and everyone and, can see that graph right now. If you're watching on YouTube. Um, so I want to sort of conclude by getting your recommendations for other forecasters who want to be on the right side of maybe more often or get there faster than they otherwise would have Um, one type of but i want to instead of doing that large sort of recommendations i want to focus on specifically numerical questions as you have said that you are better at those than binary questions Um, what is your advice for our audience for forecasting numeric questions and how do they differ from forecasting binary ones? And what would you say sort of makes you better at the numeric ones?
1: Yeah. So uh, on, on the tack list, uh, my uh, log score for numeric questions, uh, it, it was better, yeah. It's better than the community uh, median. Um, at least my last check, like six months ago. Um, yeah. Uh, While well, um, my well I'm slightly worse than the community on um, on binary questions. So on binary questions, uh, I tend to like to stick to the community, like uh, because um, yeah, I'm just doing just as well around just as well as the community. But uh, I hmm, but I had been doing better than the community on these uh, numeric questions. And so, uh, yeah, roughly um, the main thing I've been doing is to identify the numeric questions where it's possible to make a much narrower, much more confident forecast um, based on, yeah, based on hard data. So um, yes, uh, whether, yeah, Yes, so, like you'll look for so, like those uh, questions,
0: because some questions on Metaculous, the distribution will be like really, really fat and really wide. And so those are the questions that you basically say, like, look for data so that you can find a much narrower band. Um,
1: um, well, no, it's not just that. It's not just that the, the tech, that the community prediction is why. Sometimes the correct answer is to predict a why question. Yeah, so, so to identify which prediction, uh, which numeric questions where you can get a lot of points by making a, uh, a narrow, confident predictions in, yeah, that is, yeah, like, uh, you know, you do it the hallway way, you, you, uh, you make your own judgment after looking at the data on whether it's, uh, yeah whether uh, it's uh, possible or uh, yeah, whether it makes sense to be narrow. And yeah, so one way of breaking it down is kind of like the earlier predictions, like your initial predictions and the prediction later, like uh, when it's close to closing. And for, yeah, for everyone, um, a good thing to do is basically when the question is about to close. um, Yeah. uh, uh, Look for the questions where uh, the, uh, the data like it's already like, like hard data has already come out for partially for this question. like, if the question is about like, the four week moving average, or the four week average of four data points, that's like published on some website, And like two out of the four data points have been already published and it's already set in stone, then basically you can go like, yeah, like no matter how wild the last two data points will be.
0: It has to be within a certain range. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Usually at that point you can narrow it down like much narrower than your initial prediction. So that's a place where you can get a lot of points on just like. Updating when um, the data comes
0: out. Do you ever find the opposite? So you were saying, and it's not just questions that have a wide distribution, but ones that not only have a wide distribution for the community, but that the data indicates it could be much narrower. Do you ever, is there the potential in the opposite where the community uh, forecast is very narrow, but the data indicates it could be wider? And so then you forecast those with... A wider net, and that also is helps you get a better numerical score.
1: Uh, Yeah, that that also happens, and so um, yeah, like so, I've been like predicting on attack lists for years, and for like yeah, besides like the last year or the last six months, um, yeah, like for, for the first couple of years, people have been erring on like being too wide. Yeah. But recently, um, yeah, people have been getting better at numeric predictions. And now there's errors of yeah, there's errors where people are being overconfident now. So especially in yeah. So uh yeah. So if people have been like predicting the last uh the last year or so and yeah, that's probably a question or two of your predictions of losing like almost hundred points because of overconfidence.
0: Yeah. And we and we know that ourselves. a
1: common yeah a common um, overall kind of maybe pattern is like the econ, like the econ, uh the economic indicators are like swinging swing wildly due to um, like COVID recovery. Mm-hmm. So like um, yeah the economic the kind of, kind of like uh, indicators like,
0: like CPI numbers they numbers, have been so like
1: yeah. yeah like historically very stable but due to like yeah due to COVID um, due to like the vaccine coming out and
0: stimulus like things and
1: all yes things to being in flux it's not like the historic yeah situation
0: so, um, so being yeah, able like, to update like and the, to realize uh, that we sort of shifted from historic is also important. Right.
1: Yeah. So, uh, identifying when it's not the historic, um, known kind of and when there's danger and there's like, um, yeah, when you should be cautious is something else to, to learn about from experience. Like, um, yeah, there was an example of, um, the um the inflation um yeah the inflation statistics uh like percent like like way high like inflation went up, way up
0: mm-hmm. um so one last question before we wrap up and i'm a, just because we've been talking so much about numeric questions do you prefer sort of Metaculus's open-ended approach to numeric questions where you put in a range versus what good judgment and i assume what gfc2 did when it's buckets for numeric ranges do you have a preference is it both have their pros and cons do you have a preferred style
1: yeah uh they both have uh, pros and cons and i like uh it's easier for me to predict uh metaclist style with uh, yeah with the sliders and like specifying like a full probability mm-hmm. distribution mm-hmm. just because that's what i'm used to and um trained on. So I think for maybe new predictors, it's slightly more difficult to make uh, a prediction, yeah, using, yeah, to predict a full distribution and it's easier to do, yeah, it's It's as it's, yeah, it's easier for like very beginner predictors to, uh, yeah, to, do, to do the buckets predictions. So what, what are the pros and cons? Um, The, the buckets predictions is uh, the pros of the buckets uh, method is that if the appropriate prediction is actually not a bell curve looking thing, then uh, yeah, then it's better to do the buckets because then it's better, yeah, then it's more uh, natural to input the prediction with fat tails with like really wide or at least putting like twenty percent, well, like ten to twenty percent in the extreme outcomes. <laughs> so yeah, and with the uh, if the yeah with uh, um, the style, it's kind of like a default to to predict kind of like a bell logistic curve. So when the prediction like when the right answer is in, yeah, when you need to put fat tails. Then you have to kind of like, yeah, the the appropriate thing to do would be do something like make two components where one component is maybe what close to median and relatively narrow, but make a second component maybe with full full weight or half weight, uh, much much wider, so you can get the fat tails. Um, But that's not something that that's natural with the UI
0: yeah no uh we we do the same thing, but messing with those sliders can uh definitely be challenging at times, especially when you're trying to make it look the way that you want it to um that's silly. Thank you so much for coming on the show for talking about your forecasts, for sharing a lot of wisdom. Where can our listeners find you? I'm guessing it's at Metaculist um yes <laughs> It'll
1: be, uh, uh yeah, so if you want to contact me. For- to do a forecasting session, uh, you can find it on my, yeah, on my Metaculus profile. Mm.
0: Great, and you can find his email, which you can reach out to him to schedule such a forecasting uh, session. And we should do the same. Have you on for a volume of Metaculus Mondays? I'm sure it'll be our most accurate forecasts if we were to um, do them alongside you.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Like. Yeah, you know, we'll
0: try our best. Yeah, no, 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 no commitments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have to stay tuned. Great. Well, this was phenomenal. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And this was the fifth episode of the Right Side of Maybe. Thank you guys so much for watching, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, my pleasure. See
1: you.